You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women Podcast. This is episode number 318. I am your host, Noelle Tarr of coconutsandkettlebells.com. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer. I'm here with Stephanie Rupert, and today we have the million-dollar question episode. I'm calling it that because all three questions we'll be discussing today are about big topics and topics that I know so many of you struggle with. And as I was reading through these and prepping the episode and just kind of like, you know, highlighting and and reading through and a lot of times what some of you will do is ask multiple questions within a question. So as I was reading it, each question, I found myself saying, wow, that's that's the million dollar question. So hopefully we'll be able to answer these million dollar questions. Topics include the root cause of hormonal acne. This could probably be and this might turn out to just be the entire episode. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, how to get back into running and exercise without becoming obsessive, especially when you've had a history of, of you know, a disordered relationship with food in your body and fitness and learning how to listen to your body and pursue health without falling into the trap of disordered eating. So there you go. Let's do this. Before we jump in, if you haven't tried blue blocks, blue light blocking, or sleep plus glasses yet, they are literally one of the best biohacking things I've ever done for my health. We just had the time change here a few weeks ago. And during that week, I transitioned without any problems because, well, probably because I was tired, but also um, I was able to put my sleep plus glasses on a little earlier and I was ready for bed just as usual. Although I can't say the same for my kids. But when they're old enough, they will definitely be wearing blue blockers when they're looking at the iPad or watching TV. Um, Anytime you're looking at screens, whether it's the computer or an iPad, you should be wearing blue blocking glasses. I firmly believe proactively filtering out blue light with the blue blocks computer glasses and then their sleep plus glasses is an absolute necessity. The Blue Blocks computer glasses filter out the harsh blue light we experience when we're looking at screens. So they're clear. They don't have a color. And then the Sleep Plus glasses have like a slight orange tint and they block out all blue and green light between 400 and 550 nanometers, which is the exact range that has been shown in clinical trials to disrupt melatonin and negatively impact our sleep. And if you haven't already, maybe you already have the Blue Blockers and you love them, you can try out their Lumi lights. So they actually have red bulbs, which we now have in our bedroom in the nightstand lamps. And they also have a yellow summer glow bulb, which I have at my desk now. It's amazing. I actually want to put one in my closet, but I don't know if my husband will go for that so that I can have it going when I'm podcasting in the closet. It's amazing. It feels like I'm sitting under the sun. They also have an incredible sleep mask that blocks out all the light. And so they're called Remedy masks. So check out, I think it's called the Remedy Light. Get it, REM, like REM sleep. And I have that one now. So to get our special 15% discount, go to Blue Blocks. So that's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com slash wellfed. Use our code wellfed at checkout for 15% off. Again, that's blueblocks.com slash wellfed. And then use the code wellfed for 15% off and free shipping worldwide. It's totally worth it. Hey, Stephanie. 
Hey. Hey again. Hi. <laughs> I don't even want to ask how how's it going because <laughs> she already got it, folks. I already got it. 30 minutes later, like, Noelle's like taking a nap. She's I'm like, like I, I think we need to start recording. Um, so <laughs> I was like, how's it going? And you were like, well, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> how much time do you have? What's happening? Uh, life's afraid, life's crazy. I know. Um, there were like whatever. There were always things going on, but uh, I am well. Um, oh, I definitely it, am. Always so. things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we were also complaining about social media yet again. I'm sure everybody's like, "Please don't do this to us again." But it's uh, I it's it's a hamster wheel, and it does feel like the dial has been turned up ever since you know 2020 happened, and I think more of us were using the internet to connect with others and just social media in general. And maybe, maybe it's like Instagram doing reels, or I don't know what it is, but it does feel like social media has become all-consuming. And in order to be successful and have a, so social media is not just like what I do to as a side to like my business. It's now become you know people's whole businesses and brands. And unless your Instagram posted something recently that was like, here's a great formula to be successful. It's like post every day, post five to seven reels a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um post, you know, whatever, 6 to 10 stories a day and I'm like are you who even has time in the day to do like then you would just be sitting on your phone non-stop 12 hours a day and that's essentially what it takes now to be successful as, you know, and grow a business on social media and it's exhausting and it's a hamster wheel and I want to get off but then I don't know how to get off. So there we go. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are, content creators. Yay. <laughs> and and Steph, Steph's very wonderful to me, y'all. She's probably one of the only people that gets it um, and gets me in, in this capacity. And you're just like, you were like, why? Why do you need to grow and be successful? And truthfully, I like want the podcast, you know, I want the podcast to be, I don't know how to really, it's hard. You have to do a whole lot of things to like grow a podcast nowadays, because by the way, there's like millions of podcasts now. So like growth is really hard all of a sudden. And it, which, you know, why? Well, I, I just... I, I do. I have a, a goal to grow the brand, but it, it's like in the podcast and, um, you know, I, I want to create wonderful recipes and people to actually use them. And I have a lot of things to say. I just posted today, you know, exercise improves your health, whether you lose weight or not. Like this is a revolutionary concept that a lot of people don't get. And of course, all the things we talk about here on the podcast, they're not things that people are talking about. You're hearing most about you know, the flat belly challenges and how to get six pack abs and all the things. And so we want our message to get out to more people. But what we have to do apparently is like sell your soul to social media in order to do that. And it's exhausting. So, yeah. And the message is inherently less clickable. Like it's just, <laughs> yeah, it is, you know, um, because it doesn't do that thing where makes you feel bad about yourself to make you to click on it you know <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't do that thing yeah like i mean there's a lot of things there are reasons that things are clickbait and very few of them are good you know some are okay mm -hmm. you know we're compelled by a lot of things uh but a significant portion of the things that compel us to click on them are you know outrage uh, mm -hmm. 
questioning our self-worth. Like, you know, so anyway, uh, think about what you're feeling when you click on something, <laughs> if you want to, it's an interesting exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, direct, di- I, I advise considering directing one's attention to, uh, the nuanced types of material that don't necessarily, you know, give you a spike of a feeling while your, you know, finger or mouse hovers over it. So mm. like a, like yeah. an angsty feeling, you know? Yeah. Anyway. And, and like our stuff, you know, that helps too. <laughs> Just give it to, um, yeah. Like Noel stuff. Um, yeah. I, do, I have to, I, don't know. I have to proactively like go to your, um, profile to actually see your stuff. Because I'm going to be honest. I'm not a great, I mean, I am getting better at it. Like I'm trying to support friends in my newsfeed, but I, it's, oh, please don't, please don't, please don't even, <laughs> please don't even worry about it. I just, yeah, yeah, I think I'm, I, I may be, I don't know. We'll see. It's, it's an interesting question of, you know, what it is we're doing when we're participating in, in social media and creating content. And I just, I sit with a lot of questions and so, um, haven't posted much, but then sometimes I'll start posting more. And so with that erratic, you know, and I'm not following the algorithm guidelines on how often and when and what kind of content and that sort of thing. So it's perfectly understandable that I'm, you know, not popping up in your feed. Um, yeah. And uh, don't worry about it. And I, I know I say this all the time, but I love following Noelle on Instagram. He's <laughs> so sweet. The like the life is just I just I don't know uh, the 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 recipes and the and the kids like eating the stuff. There's a lot of videos lately of Maverick eating because he's so darn cute. When Stella fed him that apple, I oh, was she was like, yeah, so happy about her life. She loves being a big sister, but she loves sharing and she loves watching him learn to eat on his own. Oh, that's so sweet. It's cute. Yeah, he we've we've been doing. I've been trying to introduce like tacos to them. Stella is my pickier eater. Like she's like. Mm. I'm I'm good. That's her thing. I'm good. I'm like, okay, well, have you, why don't we try it? And she's like, I don't, um, I don't like that. I'm like, this is a Daniel Tiger thing. How do you know you don't like it? You've never tried it. So, (laughs) so she tries the taco and she, of course, she'll just eat the, the, she's like, oh, this is good. And she'll just eat the taco shell part. And then she's, she'll maybe take a bite, but she's very sensitive to like, this is spicy. Like if pepper's on something, she's like spicy. Like, oh man. Um, <laughs> so she will take a bite and she'd be like, great job, mom. That was good. But she, she's like, I'm finished. I'm like, okay. Um, but Maverick, <laughs> of course, will just slam it down, but he's been learning how to. So I gave him like just a, Basically, what looked like a not like a chip, you know, one of the grain free taco shells. I broke it off and and put meat on top of it. And he was so specific about like picking it up and taking a bite and putting it back down and making sure all the meat was still on it. And this kid is like 21 months old and he's he's and he got so excited with himself when he was able to do that. And it's just so darn cute. Aww, How can you not like kids eating? Just I love seeing my kids eat. <laughs> I go back and watch the videos. I'm like, yeah, okay, so spoken cute. like spoken like a true Insta blogger, you know. <laughs> I know. I, speaking of um, Stella and Maverick, I have this hilarious story, and I wanted to tell you. So I'm she so started. Excited. Did okay. you see the my note in here? Yes, okay, so and I was like, I have to tell Stephanie. So um, and it's not a long story, but Stella is really in that phase where she's almost four, and she really is excited about getting bigger. 
and everything. I'm getting big. I can do this. You know, I can do this now. I'm big. I'm like, you are big. And um, so she started, she was like in the bathroom and our we have a bathroom that's off the kitchen. I was in the kitchen and she started talking about, she she said something like, da, 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 my butt's getting big. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, mom, my butt's getting big. And I'm like, your butt's getting big. And it, I like my, what was running through my head. So she goes to preschool and I'm like, oh, my gosh, did some kid at preschool like tell her that her butt was big? Did she hear some teachers say this? So like, I'm like, oh, gosh, here it comes. Like the mm-hmm. body. We're already talking about body image. She's three years old. So and I'm like, did she see it on a movie? What? what, what like, well, this is my fault. So. I'm like, why do you think that? And she's like, well, I'm getting big. My butt's getting big. I'm like, okay. Like, I wasn't going to say, no, it's not. Or yes, it is. I was like, okay. And she's like, soon I'm not going to be using the pot, the baby potty seat. And I was like, oh. So at some point I had had a conversation with her that her butt was not big enough to use the toilet without a without the potty insert for like the toddler mm-hmm. potty insert so now this is a conversation that we <laughs> like daily it's a conversation that we have she'll be like mom my butt's getting big i'm like yes it is <laughs> just love how it's such a positive thing for her like she does it like i thought she was saying that it would be like you know a negative thing <laughs> but it just was she's so excited about it but so I have to keep reminding her it's not big enough though to sit on the toilet. You're gonna fall in. So we're still, we're still, when you get bigger, you can use not use the seat. So I thought that was so funny. It's like crap. I'm already having to talk about body image with my daughter, but luckily it was fine. It was about the toilet. So, That's wonderful. Yeah, three year olds. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Yay for not being there yet. Love it. Um. Okay. So we are. You want to jump into questions? This is gonna. This is a lot. Yeah. We yep. have a lot to say. And um Yes, I do. Appreciate you guys sending in these questions. These were emailed to us. These are gonna be a little bit longer form, but I, I feel like it really ha- it helps give us context. So we talk a lot about hydration here, specifically how electrolytes are Im- an important aspect of hydration that so many people overlook. Water absorption in your body is dependent upon the absorption of key electrolytes. The problem is you lose electrolytes through sweat and when you go to the bathroom and they have to be replaced through diet and supplementation and that need increases significantly if you're exercising regularly and sweating or if you're following a whole foods diet since it's naturally low in sodium. When training, especially fasted in the morning, electrolytes are critical for performance. Many athletes feel dehydrated and drink more water. However, this can can dilute blood sodium levels even further. This shows up as muscle cramps, headaches, fatigue, sleep disturbances, and electrolytes play a key role in hormone regulation too. Low sodium levels actually spike adrenal hormones like cortisol. Element makes grab-and-go electrolyte replacement supplementation. You just take an Element recharge packet mixed up with water and sip. There is absolutely no sugar, gluten fillers, artificial ingredients, and it's paleo-friendly. I've been using an entire packet after any sort of exercise where I sweat and it has made such a difference. I no longer feel so thirsty and empty throughout the day despite drinking tons of water and eating sufficiently. Element's co-founder is actually Rob Wolf, who we interviewed on episode number 311, so you know the ingredients are solid and that it's been well-researched and developed. To grab a free sample pack of Element, go to drink L M N T. 
That's drinklmnt.com forward slash well-fed. All you have to do is pay for shipping and you'll get like, I think it's eight packets to test out. So you really have nothing to lose with that. Drinklmnt.com forward slash well-fed. Click on get yours when the website pops up and then claim your free packets. So question number one is from Aubrey. Hi there. I'm a fairly new listener. I get very emotional about this acne period journey because I feel I have nowhere to turn. Doctors don't listen to me or my concerns, and I can't afford a naturopath or go out of network at this point. I suffer from hormonal acne on my chin, jaw, and sides of my cheek. I have tried everything to help with this and even went on two rounds of Accutane in college. I also now have short period cycles, 15 to 18 days long. I am 26 years old. I do CrossFit five to six times per week, eat healthy, track macros, and I'm a healthy weight. I didn't have acne until college, which is also when I ran track and cross country and trained pretty heavily. Both times I was on Accutane in college, the acne went away for a while and then came back. And when my doc- doctor suggested a third round. Third round, I gave up to res- and resolved to light a life of acne. My doctor always, to this day, wants me to get on hormonal birth control. In December of 2018, I started spironolactone, and in January of 2019, I started taking birth control to manage my acne. I think this acne was brought on by stress of moving and starting a new job, but I didn't know any better at the time than to just listen to my doctor and take the pills. My skin was very clear on birth control and spiro, but I wanted to wean off of the spiro because I don't want to be on it long term, and I was starting to think about having children. I cut the dose in half and noticed I developed melasma from the birth control on my cheeks, upper lip and forehead. I stopped taking birth control immediately and increased Spiro to manage my skin while I transitioned off the birth control. For about four months, my skin was fine, even pretty good. This year, I started noticing acne worsening, and my my periods since coming off the birth control were pretty irregular. My cycles are very short, anywhere from 15 to 18 days, so I fear I'm not ovulating, and the acne is getting pretty bad again. My skin is worsening, and it's taking a toll on my well-being. I started taking a powder daily called Fem21, which includes Vitex and several probiotic strains. I just feel so hopeless. My doctor has thrown a PCOS diagnosis out there, but she says there's no way to really know if I have it or not. I do not have one. I do have one cyst on my ovary as well as the cystic acne, but my testosterone and thyroid were normal. I wonder if my exercise has an impact on my hormones. This is where I was like, ooh, million dollar question. I love doing CrossFit and don't want to give it up altogether, but I am willing to cut back on the intensity if you believe it will help. My doctors are not supportive or helpful. I've asked about testing my progesterone and estrogen, and they say, we can test, but it's not going to help. What tests should I request, and what should I be looking for to address hormonal acne and short cycles? How do I be an advocate for myself when my doctor thinks I need to just take more pills? Is there any other supplementation I should be doing or lifestyle changes I should be making? It will be a major, major lifestyle change for me to cut out CrossFit, and it's something I really don't want to do unless I have to for the sake of my hormones. Thank you for all you do for women. There's a lot of things that could be said, and I have a lot of things to say. I'll start in on the like the spiro hormonal angle, and then see where it goes, and stop myself. After, yeah, let's pop after a while. I, I do feel like we're going to be all over the place just because there's a lot. So, so say yeah, do that, and then we'll kind of discuss sure. the other things. 
Um, so it seems like the acne has periods for you where it's better and worse, and you've noticed that it's less bad in periods in which you are relaxed. And that is really worth listening to because something that is stressful is exercise (laughs) and uh, maintaining a weight with exercise and tracking macros. Um, For all that we know about what you've been up to, um, I don't know what you've been eating and what it means for you to eat healthfully. You know, you talk about tracking macros. And so a lot of public perception about what it means to eat healthfully is to uh, eat a certain amount of food or to eat certain macronutrients, right? To eat certain amount of carbs, fat, protein. Whereas I would am of the opinion that eating healthfully means uh, focusing on nutrient density and reducing inflammatory foods. So that's something to really think about because your skin will respond to healthfulness in the way that I talked about. Uh, Lots of healthy nutrients and reducing inflammation in a positive way and will react negatively to uh, the idea of eating healthfully that is just um, basically restrictive eating that we sort of tend to think of in popular culture. So that's... um, that's some stuff. Um, and you mentioned trying everything, um, to help with your acne, including Accutane. Um, yeah, there's a lot that could be everything. And I do think that, uh, reducing the amount of stress and, uh, perhaps restriction and, uh, high intensity exercise could be called for. Um, I want to talk about Spiro. Um, You mentioned coming off of it and then you got melasma due to the birth control. Um, It is perhaps due to both of these things at the same time. I did a little bit of research and it does seem that people talk about melasma on Spiro. um, And I would see the two of them possibly working together in that sense because so birth control pills uh, are progesterone and occasionally estrogen in them. Uh, spironolactone is a medication prescribed off-label for women with acne that is a side effect of the initial intent of being a potassium-sparing diuretic that it also reduces androgen activity in the body. So you're decreasing androgen activity with Spiro. And that's shifting your hormonal balance towards slightly um, estrogen, progesterone, the more stereotypically female hormones. And then when you're adding uh, female hormones on top of it with birth control, then it's uh, not very surprising to me that that is one thing that can happen, the melasma. So um, so that's definitely something to be aware of. They both have hormonal effects and other effects. It's very important to understand that when we take any kind of drugs, they have effects, like many, (laughs) and they might be prescribed for one particular usage, um, but they don't act in isolation on that usage. I don't know if I can think of something that would do that, um, because the body is a hugely complex network of things that are interrelated and, and so that's that's really important. And I think Spiro is a huge example of, uh, of that kind of action, right? It's a drug that's prescribed to help people 
retain ki- like retain potassium in their kidneys while being a diuretic. It's a blood pressure medication, and women take it for hormonal acne. It's just that's really important to understand because it will have an effect on like your blood pressure. <laughs> like it will have an effect on the potassium in your kidneys. Um, I was on Spiro for six months and it uh, just wrecked me, absolutely wrecked me. And I won't say that it would do this for everybody um, that's on it. I will say that there have been consistent uh, comments on my blog and emails to me, uh, very consistent (laughs) um, throughout the years of, of women's writing to me and saying, wow, I've been having these crazy side effects on Spiro and nobody seems to be talking about them except you and, and what, what can I do? You know, um, so I'm, uh, not a huge fan again, like if people want to try it and it works for them with their acne, great. Um, diuretics dehydrate you period. (laughs) And being dehydrated is not great. And when it spares potassium in your kidneys and dehydrates you at the same time, it throws off your electrolyte balance and it causes your kidneys to have to work harder to keep electrolyte balance in your blood which causes like a stress reaction in your body basically, or it can, right? Like elevation of cortisol levels and um, upregulation of excitatory activity in the brain, which is why it wrecked me because I have an excited brain. <laughs> and so um, so that's just, that's something to think about. Um, anybody who is uh, contemplating getting on Spiro for hormonal acne, um, if you do it, like go very tiny doses and take it slowly. Um, women have asked me how to come off of it safely. And I'm like, well, you can just stop. Um, your acne may change. It may come back or, or what have you, but, uh, you can, you can just stop. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna leave that there. Um, and Accutane, um, you know, that can be, uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that can also be a really problematic. And they watch people who take Accutane very closely, um, because of the way that it has impacted people's mental health. And I don't know the biochemistry of it, um, as well as I do with Spiro. Um, you just, you have to be very careful. Drugs have effects. So that's all mm. stuff. Um, and again, like, okay, you can, but there are other ways. And I think they're much more sustainable and, uh, by and large, often, more conducive to health in the long term because Spiro can be covering things. Birth control can be covering things. I'll say something about the PCOS. Did you want to say something or should I say something about PCOS and then I'll stop? No, let me say something. Go. Okay. So I think I, and you were, you just, just touched on this and I just want to like hone this in, which is a prescription. When we're talking about what, what is hormonal acne? It's not a deficiency in prescription medications. What, the number one uh, prescribed solution for hormonal acne is is the birth control and also Spiro. So think about what birth control and Stephanie just explained Spiro. So think about what birth control is. It is synthetic hormones that basically cover up your own hormonal function. It doesn't do anything to solve the root cause 
of the problem, which to be clear, the root cause of hormonal acne is always hormonal imbalances, period, end of story. It's baffling to me that we still have a medical system that says, oh, you're having hormonal acne. Testing your hormones won't do anything. And so I I do want to empower you to understand that the root cause is, is a hormonal imbalance. It is not oh, it's you need a birth control pill. So many women are prescribed the pill to manage hormone imbalances when all it does, again, is just cover up your own hormonal function. When you come off the pill, you those hormonal imbalances are still going to be there. And Furthermore, your problems are going to be worse. We, I did an amazing um, interview with Dr. Jolene Brighton about post-birth control syndrome. We'll link to that in the show notes. But, but being on the birth control pill can actually really deplete key nutrients that are needed for hormone, hormones to balance, to be in balance and to balance naturally, specifically magnesium and B vitamins. And so it can throw off a lot and literally make the hormonal imbalances that you're experiencing even worse. So again, prescription medication doesn't solve the root cause. It's literally just you covering up your own hormonal function. And in many cases, it can actually make it worse, um, which it, the, like if you're on birth control long term. And ob- obviously, Stephanie's had her own experiences with, with Spiro and many women have where the side effects it are, are worse than make you feel worse and actually make the problem worse, the root cause worse. So, yeah, why don't you talk about PCOS? Yeah, um, my doctor has thrown a PCOS diagnosis out there, but she said there's no way to really know if I have it or not. Okay, there are three criteria for diagnosing PCOS. I don't know why somebody would say that either. I'm like, like what do you mean? There are like, exa- what? <laughs> I don't get that. Okay, um, elevated androgen uh, levels in the blood, like testosterone, uh, cystic ovaries polycystic ovaries like you get an ultrasound for cysts on your ovaries and, and uh irregular periods mystery regular periods like those are the three criteria and if you have two of the three technically that's pcos um to my understanding so um you said you only have one cyst on your ovary if you don't have polycystic ovaries and if your testosterone and thyroid hormone levels are normal um then then you know, that seems, and well, you're, since you're on birth control, like it's, you can't really know about your cycles, what they would be like otherwise, you know, uh, and the birth control can, uh, play a role in your hormone levels and testing and, and hide underlying hormone imbalances. So if you came off of birth control and then, uh, went several, a few, several months and then got your hormone levels tested that that could perhaps be more accurate um but like that would be the way to definitively tell whether or not you have pcos and maybe you do maybe you don't regardless uh there appears to be like the acne is a sign from your body that there are you know that stress is impacting it and you know like noel was emphasizing you you can't you can't have a very ac- you can't have a very accurate picture of what's going on if you're if you're covering it up 
you know, if you're taking, if your hormones, if you want to know what your hormones are like, but you're taking hormones, um, that, that's a little tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is, there is that to consider in terms of looking into the hormonal acne and the short cycles. Um, I would ask why you're on birth control. I would, I would ask anybody to think about why they're on birth control. I talked with, I had a long chat with a friend about this last week and and I talk about it with people all the time because um like if you're taking it because your doctor said to address this issue it's not a long-term solution it just isn't um and if you're on it because of family planning reasons because of pregnancy reasons um that can be navigated as well um in terms of other options <clears throat> i mean they're at least worth looking into so um i would definitely think about that um, advocating for yourself. Uh, I think if you've worked with a certain person for a while and it hasn't been working and you don't see a productive way to communicate about a change you would like to have take place, um, then you can look for other options. Um, there are definitely other people you can work with. And, uh, I think that that's uh, definitely worth, mm-hmm. definitely worth investigating if you don't feel like you're being supported or heard by somebody who is like literally making decisions that, affect your physical and mental well-being. Um, I think that that's really important. So, uh, yeah, I think that and um, CrossFit also. Why? You know, you mentioned loving it. Why? Um, you know, some people really, really love the the feelings of adrenaline in, in your system. And uh, that can, and the joy or whatever that it brings or the community or what have you, um, and the exertion, of course, uh, exhausting your body, uh, those things you may need to put on the back burner, you know, or decrease for a while or increase the amount of food you're eating to make up for it. But no, I, I yeah, <laughs> the, the things that we love about a certain activity could perhaps be found in other activities for a while while we rest and, and assess. You know, you never really know. You never really know if, if until you try. You know, I was so worried that when I got surgery on my nose, I couldn't exercise afterwards. And there was a part of me that was like, what is going to happen? What is going to happen to like my mm-hmm. body or my health? And I didn't, okay, I couldn't exercise for six weeks. And it was like, nothing. <laughs> it was it fine. Was fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was fine. <laughs> like, and then I go back to exercising and I like, you know, I, I don't have the same capacity as I did before, but that's okay. You can get it back. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, that's, that's an important piece. And, and I will, I want to get to that in a second, but I also just want to talk briefly about the root cause of hormonal acne, which I mentioned before is a hormone imbalance. So your hormone levels rise and fall, um, throughout the day in the month. And, and, you know, you have your cycle is a series of hormones and there should be four phases and, estrogen increases, rises, it makes you, you know, then you ovulate and then estrogen drops and progesterone and estrone both rise and then they drop and then you start your period. And that is typically around 28 days, but it can be give or take five or 10. Um, So the fact that you have very short cycles is, is definitely a red flag. I, you, you're not, you're probably most likely not ovulating. I won't say anything definitely. Um, but I think the first step for you is, as Stephanie mentioned, to 
just find a new, find a new doctor, um, find someone that's in network. I was going to say too, like you can, there are so many people out you could drive, even if it's like, so you have to drive an hour. Um, I know that's hard or maybe drive a half an hour or whatever, but find, you know, maybe a new OBGYN practice that has, that has, um, midwives as part of the staff. And you can actually book appointments, women's wellness appointments with midwives, um, uh, the midwives that delivered my baby, I still do, you know, my my wellness appointments there. They were happy to do a full thyroid panel for me. They did. They didn't even ask, I mean, I didn't even ask. They were just like, hey, you want to do a thyroid panel and some hormones? I'm like, sure. So, you know, it, there are people who you can team up with who will be on your side, who will be in network. I actually, I mean, it took me a while to find it, but I'm in network with a functional medicine practitioner at a family medicine practice, like a traditional family medicine practice. So maybe jump on some Facebook groups in your area that are more holistically minded and try to find a good um, practice, get a list of all the ones that are in network for you, call or like Google search, look at reviews, see if you can find functional or integrative stuff, and then see if, if you're covered. You've got to find somebody else that can team up with you and has some education on hormone function. Um, and then this is where this, the cycles come in. So the short cycle, right? Definitely a red flag, likely not ovulating. It's really important that you start tracking this to see what's happening. So I did a whole tracking episode with Lisa Hendrickson Jack. Um, I, I'm just assuming that you're not ovulating and it's because of your hormones. So I'm assuming that your estrogen and your progesterone are very off and it is likely because of stress. And this is also, I know you said you had a thyroid panel and that that came back fine, but if they just tested TSH and nothing else, it could not, it could be very not fine. So an underactive thyroid is a, is a really common cause of short cycles. Underactive thyroids are very common in situations where women are dealing with chronic stress. So this is what I'm getting to, which is uh, the chronic stress and the root cause of potentially the hormone, hormonal acne. But I just kind of wanted to talk all through that and how we get here. So a, a common root cause of hormonal acne is, of course, it, it is a hormonal imbalance. So what is causing that hormonal imbalance? There's many different things when we're talking about balancing hormones. I mean, it's you know, so many things play into it, both your thyroid and your stress and your gut. And so sometimes it's hard to figure out like what's causing one or what's causing the other, but you know, it has to be a comprehensive approach. So first think about your gut health. Your gut and your liver are are what help excrete hormones from your body. So if you are not properly eliminating hormones, you're going to have reuptake of estrogen and you're going to deal with estrogen dominance and symptoms of estrogen dominance. So number one, gut health has to be a part of the solution. Number two, the cause of ex of hormonal acne is, as Stephanie discussed uh, briefly, excess androgens. So it's not just high testosterone. If she, I'm not sure what your doctors tested, but it could if if they only looked at testosterone again, you're not getting a full picture. So it could be DHEA among others that could be high, and those excess levels of androgens in your body cause a lot of the the you know acne and unwanted hair growth or some of these other symptoms. And the causes, 
And I don't, I, I, like, I feel you. I feel your pain. I know that, like, CrossFit is your thing and it's probably, like, the only thing you look forward to and you just love to do it and all the things. And Stephanie had a good question, which is why? Um, the causes of excess, excess androgens, main cause is high intensity exercise, too much of it. And the fact that your acne started when? When you were in college and you said you were working out too much. So what was driving you to work out too much? Let's be honest. What was driving you to work out too much? Why Why would you do that? It's probably because you're trying to change your body and you're finding your worth in your workouts and that was in your that was part of your identity. And so now what is part of your identity and where you find your worth is working out a ton, is doing high-intensity workouts, is being able to maintain this this level of activity that not a lot of other people can maintain. And maybe it's also really helpful to help you just manage your anxiety and manage your, um, you're able to justify your food and all that kind of stuff. And when you stop working out, then a lot of these issues that are underlying start to uh, come to the surface. And you start to have now problems, you know, that arise, your anxiety gets worse, maybe, you know, you, you start to have issues with your relationship with food and, and you start to get a little bit, you know, iffy on that. So this just, you know, basically is kind of keeping everything at bay is this um, over-reliance on high-intensity exercise and working out all the time. Um, but the excess androgens is typically caused by high-intensity exercise, working out too much, um, prolonged stress, so chronic cortisol output, which can be caused by, you guessed it, too much in- intensity, too much exercise, and also under-eating. So um, stress totally disrupts the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, it can cause you to produce higher quantities of androgens, so DHA and DHAS, which are then converted into testosterone. Um, even in women without PCOS, as excess androgens can be the root cause behind hormonal acne, and long-term, it can lead to problems like infertility and, and insulin resistance and all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I think that there are a lot of solutions that and it again, it does take a comprehensive approach. I think for you in particular, it, it is you need to eat more because I am going to be honest. Your stats, you're kind of you're, you're 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 lean for um for your height and your body fat percentage is pretty darn low. So, and I know maybe you wouldn't think that, but I just have to put that out there. It, it's it's pretty darn low for what women typically, like, I think women need a healthy amount of body fat on their body to be able to have hormonal, proper hormonal function and for progesterone and estrogen to be online. Uh, we have a society that makes us think that women should somehow somehow be able to maintain below 20% body fat, and I think that's a bunch of bull. And women who do do that are typically high-performing athletes, and they typically have hormone imbalances or they're struggle- they struggle with hypothalamic amenorrhea, and there's a reason for that. So I don't know why you're tracking your macro so in- closely. Um, again, these are all deeper questions that we need to ask and figure out, but... I think it's important to peel back those layers and really look and and explore what's going on there because it's clear that it's stress, it's clear that it's high-intensity exercise, and it's clear that you probably don't have enough body fat on your body to to support proper hormone function and um, have estrogen and progesterone both be online. And this is clearly in your very short cycles. Um, I don't think you have a proper cycle. I think you're just having a a bleed and it's not... um, 
you're not ovulating. So again, more information can be found all about this. The Lisa episode that I talked about tracking your cycles, Jolene Brighton, post-birth control syndrome. Start thinking about tracking your cycles um, just to kind of get a, get an awareness of like where your hormone levels should be. I know this is really hard, um, but y- you need a t- you need a comprehensive thyroid panel, and you really do. You need to be looking at antibodies and T3, and you need a comprehensive hormone test. If you're just grass, if you're just like grasping, and you don't, you're not even getting the right things tested, and you have all these like very complex health conditions going on, and you're not getting a proper period, and you're not ovulating, and like you have these red flags, you have to be able to know your numbers. You can't just throw darts at like a blank wall. You need to put a target on that wall. So try to find a new doctor, somebody who can team up with you, set some money aside to potentially get someone who can pull the Dutch test for you and be able to help you understand the results of that so that you know where your numbers are and get a good picture of your health. And because you deserve somebody who believes in you and who can help you get to the root cause of hormone imbalances and what is going on in your body. You have to know your numbers. So um, while there are a ton of free resources and I think you have a great place to start, you need to have you need to have a, a visual. Um, and really the best place to do that is with the Dutch test. And there's a lot of Dutch practitioners and maybe you could work with like a nutritional therapy practitioner who can help you kind of understand the numbers and stuff like that. And give you some recommendations, but I do think you need your numbers. So I will link to all the things in the show notes. Do you have anything else? Because I said a lot there. Uh, No, I think that was uh, quite thorough. Okay. This kind of, this next question plays on top of that, which is question number two, um, is from Jessica. She says, I have a fitness-related topic that I would love to hear your input on. Throughout high school and into college, I was a very admin runner. I struggled with body image prior to starting um, competitive running, but the environment in cross-country and track really contributed to me developing disordered eating habits. Once I started grad school, I was busy and basically stopped running. I think it's been a healthy break for me, and I've used this time to rediscover why I love being active and moving my body in fun ways. For years now, I told my husband that my goal was to run a half marathon before we have kids. Now that we are beginning to plan that for that stage of our lives, I keep thinking about this goal that I haven't accomplished yet. I'd love to hear your thoughts on getting back into running, um, and if you think it's possible to do so in a healthy way after struggling with it in the past. Thank you so much for your content. It's the exact it's exactly the healthy self-care advice that we all need. I, one would hope. <laughs> <laughs> one who produces content on this podcast would hope. Yes. Um, so, again, I, and forgive me for being a broken record, I like to return to the question why. Um, I think... It's definitely possible as we engage activities and communities uh, that have been problematic for us in the past that we can fall back into those kinds of patterns. But uh, I think at the core of that is the question of uh, why am I doing this and what sort of mental state will I be carrying with myself throughout? You imply that your your disordered eating habits and your running were related when you did it in the past. But if you return to running in a way that isn't tied 
to attempting to maintain a certain body size or image that isn't if you have jettisoned the mindset of restricting and if you feel that you are happy to eat uh, freely and are maybe even theoretically comfortable with gaining weight. I just phrased that like it was a far field thing, but I'm a firm believer that we all should be comfortable with the possibility of gaining weight um, because why not? <laughs> mm. Because why not? That's a very important question. Um, so um, I would just, when, if you want to return to running, ask yourself why. And if you're doing it from a place of like, I love the feeling of my feet hitting the pavement. I don't, but I understand that some people do <laughs> that. You probably do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I personally don't, um, or feet hitting grass or what have you. Um, I enjoy this or, you know, I, I get into a meditative state, that sort of thing. Cool. Um, if it's about pushing yourself, because you mentioned perhaps you had a goal if, um, of running a half marathon. Um, was that right? Half? Yeah. Um, if, if it's a goal that you want to pursue, but you're concerned that your body image might get wrapped up in it, you could pursue a goal that is something else. Um, you could do it in another area of fitness, perhaps, or uh, in if not, if you think that that could still become a problem emotionally, uh, you can pursue a goal in terms of uh, acquiring a new skill, like playing an instrument or learning a language or um learning a type of dance which would be physical but not oriented towards like a physical exertion but rather an art so those are some ideas um i definitely think that that's important i also think the people and the images and the motivations that you surround yourself are really important so if you are running if you decide that you're like all right cool i'm going ahead uh, I would engage content about running and communities if you do it in groups uh, that are not centered around this idea, this pervasive idea we have in our culture that we were just talking about where leanness equals health and eating well equals eating less, right? We want to be in communities where people are eating heartily and very pro uh bodies and stuff so um so that's that's kind of how i would i would approach it i would just ask why like why you know um mm. having these goals if it's about challenge you can find another way to be challenged if you think it'll be problematic but if you think it won't be problematic and you've like you know you want to return to it in a fresh way and part of the triumph of returning to it is that you are coming back to it in this fresh way and that whole thing about leaving a place and then returning to it knowing it for the first time like you could do that you know <laughs> Um, because that's real and could be a really beautiful way to come full circle on this activity that you once did. And now you're returning to it in a way in a more healthful space. It's totally a possibility, but also like we have to know ourselves. There's another, you know, philosophic, uh, you know, uh, point to return to often return to like, we have to know ourselves. And, uh, I think knowing what our motivations are and gauging how healthfully we can, you know, live them is is quite important so yeah those are my thoughts yeah that, those are basically my thoughts too i will uh second that and also say that i i think yeah i've definitely been on this journey and i do feel like the way that i used to pursue exercise 
before was completely driven by mostly shame. I would have really tried, I tried to really convince myself that it was what I loved to do and I was obsessed with it and it was like, you know, fun. 90% of the time it wasn't fun and I was intentionally like forcing myself to do things that I maybe knew were too much or, um, I mean, I won't say 90. I will, I will say more like 70% of the time I was like forcing myself to do it because I was doing it too much too often. And I was always kind of like on the brink of burnout. But I loved the, you know, I I love swimming. I love riding my bike. I still do. Now I never dread my workouts and I don't, um, I'm never having to force myself to do it because I'm taking adequate rest. I'm doing what I know is right for my body. And I never say, oh, I don't feel good today, but I still have to do this workout because it's on my training plan. So I think that that's where you just have to be able to step back and continually renew your mind every day and say, why am I doing this? What's my motivation? I didn't get that. You know, I have this workout on the schedule. I need to run a long run of 10 miles or whatever, do I, is my body ready to do that today? Or do I just need to take a break and maybe do it tomorrow? Um, or, you know, just wait a few days and let me get adequate rest. Am, am I still, do I still want this? Is this goal still something that I want to do? Um, as like a, for a sense of accomplishment, am I going to feel bad if I don't complete this goal? So am I going to feel bad if I, you know, have to take some time away and and not do it and maybe do it another day? You can do it. You can you can really do it after you have kids, too. It's not um, it'll it'll be fine. You can you can do it after you have kids. But, yeah, it is obviously easier before you have kids. But it's not if it's not right for you right now or you tweak your ankle or you get injured. I think it's important just to keep that mindset of like all is not lost. I had fun. I learned things about my body and now I'm going to drop the goal. So as long as you can keep that attitude while you're pursuing the goals that you want to pursue, you're going to be making decisions that are right for your body. You're going to not be forcing yourself and pushing yourself to a place um, that your body shouldn't be going. And you're not going to be, you're going to be a lot less prone to injury. You're still going to be able to sleep well and, and all the things. So I, I'm so surprised now at how well I engage with exercise and fitness. Um, because I've learned my lesson so many times that I don't want to go back there. So I'm, I'm proud of, I'll pat myself on the back just for a second because even yesterday I was like, Oh, I really want to ride. You know, I ridden on Saturday. I'm like, I want to get on the bike and ride. And it just got to the point where I was like, am I going to have a good ride today? Nope. I'm not going to have a good ride today. I'm, I'm tired. I didn't really sleep that well last night. And I actually don't feel like my body could handle any intensity right now. So not going to do it. And like the past me would have just freaked out and been like, well, I haven't done anything in three days of why sh- I should be like, you know, the shoulds are the are the worst. So when we get into this, like, well, I should be able to do it. it, it no, drop it. If, if you're if you're assessing and you're not ready, don't do it. And then you can have a great workout the next day or two days later, whenever you are ready to and your body has recovered. When we keep trying to push ourselves and not rest enough and, and push and push and push and we don't allow for recovery, that's when things get really bad for us. And we can, you know, don't be driven by shame, Dri- be driven by taking care of yourself and always put your 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 needs and what your body needs today first. No matter what it says on your trading plan. Yeah. You know, we have the, sorry, is this, yeah. So we have this, um, like this really, really popular narrative in our culture that you have to, like the, 
thing that is good, that is moral, that is cool, is to make yourself do it even if you don't want to, right? And I agree that when you have goals, sometimes you have to push and Mm -hmm. sometimes you have to be really disciplined. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like that doesn't, that's for a very specific way of being and even in that way of being isn't always the right choice i definitely think listening and is a way of being to be i'm proud of to be excited about to be happy with um i personally have a guide i have a principle which is uh, i can exercise abundantly but i cannot be motivated by my body size Hmm. like period Yep. And I think I think I have something in me that's just it's sort of like an impulse that is that is like, oh, like you said, oh, it's been three days or it's been this many of this and I, I need to exercise or else I don't know what's going to happen. Right. Like, um, but if I find, you know, especially in times like this, willpower is just where most of us are pretty maxed out on it a lot of the time. You have to decide where you're going to put your willpower. And if you mm-hmm. want to put it to exercise, like, fine. <laughs> I, right now I'm putting it towards uh, usually towards other things, but sometimes when I, you know, when I want to exercise, I do, but, um, body size is not on the list of reasons for me currently, uh, which I am enjoying. I just don't have time for that anymore. I really just, yeah, I don't, it's just not a priority. And I, I, again, I've said this in the past, but like I have become everything I was terrified that I would become in college. I was like, I don't want to like quote unquote lose myself and not be so focused on body size. And it's, it's actually pretty darn awesome um, to not be so focused and not actually care. And instead think about health and what like well-being and uh, quality of life. It's pretty cool. Um, Question number three is from Rachel. Hey, ladies. First of all, I'm so glad I found your podcast. I generally want to treat my body well, and I don't know how. I'm also just bad at knowing with what my body needs. Like, it seems there's a disconnect between my body and my mind. The backstory is I grew up super poor, and my dad is bipolar. He's also diabetic. My parents didn't realize they pretty much emotionally neglected us. Growing up, we all just kind of hid from him. And this caused a whole host of problems that I've been working through with a therapist. On the food side, we grew up on processed junk and it was super unstable. Sometimes there was food, you just, and sometimes there just wasn't. You ate what you could and you did it fast. I realized I have a pretty intense need for control and that I'm a very black and white person, not a whole lot of balance. I finally have a stable living situation and have time to actually focus on my health for the first time in my life. And when I did, I went all in. With COVID, I got really aggressive with restrictive eating. I started losing weight, uh, but when start, and she didn't have COVID, but when COVID started is what she's saying. Um, I started losing weight, but what started out was as just really trying to treat my body well quickly turned into disordered eating. I'm a part-time kids pastor and have been donating plasma to generate a little income. I had to stop donating because of a protein deficiency. I worked to try to get my protein levels up and it still wasn't great. It really freaked me out because I've been trying so hard to be kind to my body and I'm so oblivious to what my body actually needs. I don't know how to be intuitive or to do things in moderation. I'm working with a therapist with all of this, but the focus with her has been more about the emotional side. 
than the health side. How do I know if I'm actually in good health and are there good at home tests you recommend? How do I listen to my body and become more aware of how things affect me? Thanks. I think, thank you for this question. I think one of the most important things that we can do as human beings, I'm, I'm tempted to say the most, but I'll go with one of the most. Oh. I, I've only been thinking about it, you know, uh, it, it, with respect to the context of this question for an hour, but it's been on my mind for a while. Um, most important thing we can do is pay attention. Uh, and there are lots of philosophers and theologians or what have you that have looked at this idea because when you pay attention to something, you like you learn it and you experience it. And that goes for other people. It goes for our physical environments and it goes for ourselves. You know, so how do you listen to your body and become more aware of how things affect you? Uh, you pay attention. And I know that that sounds very vague, but I'm, I'm going to get more specific. I promise. So, <laughs> um, like we, we pay attention and listening, I think, is often best done from a place of stillness, right? And from a place of attempting to relax the frenetic chasing of our thoughts and just hear what's happening, just like receive what's happening. This is – I. Don't often, I, I don't normally first, I sh maybe I should, I don't often normally uh, tell people uh, that I recommend meditation or some sort of contemplative practice, but that could be a really good way. It is often a really good way for people to sort of help sift through the clamor of thoughts and feelings asking for attention in their head. So then you have the freedom to direct your attention the way that you want to. Um so you could do that as a way to sort of create a quieter space through which you can start listening. And I think like on a day-to-day -day level, just sort of always be having a conversation with yourself. Uh, you could say it, you could be talking out loud if you want, like it could be a conversation or just, you know, an awareness of uh, when I eat this thing, like how do I feel like physically and emotionally, you could journal if you want to be really intentional about it. How do I feel? You know, and you could do that after each meal, depending on how, you know, detailed you want to be about it. Or you could do it at the end of each day or at the end of each week, right? I've been eating these kinds of foods this week. This is how I feel. This is how my stomach feels. You can also use meditation to sort of uh, practice tuning into different parts of your body. This is how my stomach feels. This is how my um, you know, that when people talk about anxiety, it's often like, how does it feel? Where is it sitting in you? That feeling like in your chest, like a chest tightness or, you know, how does my chest feel? Do, is my heart beating in a certain way? And like, how are my emotions? You know, do I have a headache? Am I tired? Do I think this is in response to this food? And uh, it can take a very long time to figure out what kind of foods work for you and don't. If you really, if you want to, have a plan for figuring out what foods work for you and what don't. We happen to have written a B <laughs> book on it together and continue to stand by what we wrote in the book, which is always a great relief for people <laughs> for writing <laughs> That's things. That's true. You know? Like, oh, I'm like, hey, we were, we're, we were right. Yeah. Standing the test of time. Um, 
And so four week plan where we recommend some things that you might want to eliminate and then reintroducing them and uh, dairy, grains, seed oils and sugar are on that list of things because they are ones that we think tend to be the most common causes of or, you know, common uh yeah, causes or having relationships with uh, certain health issues. Um, so we recommend that and then talk about testing and how to bring things in and in a very specific way, introduce this for these number of meals, these number of days, see how you feel. And that's a very specific way to try and see what kinds of foods are good for you. Now, that's very, I think, productive for people who are looking into a specific set of symptoms that they're experiencing. If you're just looking for general wellness, uh, you can definitely do that. You can also, if you just want to like see how it feels for a while, not having symptoms is a really good sign that you're like doing well, but that doesn't guarantee that everything is all right under the hood, so to speak. Um, and so you could go see a, a doctor or a functional medicine practitioner and say, I want a battery of tests done to see if I have certain deficiencies or inflammatory markers and go from there. But I think generally speaking, eating a low inflammatory, nutrient-dense array of foods, which we also discuss in the book, Coconuts and Kettlebells, um, <laughs> then, <laughs> which include things like vegetables, I'll say it fine, which include things like, I just can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, fruits and vegetables. And why do we always say fruits first? Oh, probably because it's just... Um, one syllable instead of many vegetables and fruits. I'll try to be, you know, egalitarian vegetables and fruits, um, quality in your animal products, if you can. So grass fed and wild caught and pasture raised eggs. Uh, we really like all that stuff, uh, organ meats, if you can, and, uh, healthy, healthy fats, which include the animal ones and olive oil and avocados, big fans of, that coconuts coconuts and kettlebells is the name of the book we like coconut so anyway um yeah i'm gonna stop that's it that's some stuff I've yeah talking, i do think so. i actually think our, our book is a great place to start and and because i think it is it's the book that we all we wish we had it's the book that we basically want people to have before they start making health changes because we do talk about you don't have to cut your calories. And furthermore, you don't have to be focused on weight loss. You don't even have to lose weight to become healthier. And so when we get focused on weight loss, making ourselves smaller, and that being the health changes that we're experiencing, it's based on a fallacy and it's fleeting. And then we develop a disordered relationship with our body because now we just all we're doing is trying to get it to change and to look differently. And that's good for no one. So essentially making shifts and trying to become more healthy is about, okay, how can I change my physiology and pursue things that make me feel really well? So sometimes, you know, that's taking a walk outside in the sunshine. That's just incorporating movement. That is, yeah, eating more whole nutrient-dense foods, but you don't have to track your macros or your, your, you know, cut your calories, and you don't have to be losing weight to be make real positive physiological shifts in your body that help you feel well. And you need food. You need calories. The moment you start cutting and starving, mildly starving yourself with dieting, you it, it you will create a, a situation that is 
you have a negative relationship with food because now your body wants it and you're trying to deny yourself of it. And in those situations, we will always develop a disordered eating or a disordered relationship with food. And we start to, you know, demonize certain things or eating a certain amount or a certain type of food. And so our book really talks about the mindset of that. And really shifting your mindset into thinking about how can I include as opposed to exclude and, you know, why your body is is worthy. It's it's worthy right now. You don't have to lose weight to become worthy or to be healthier and just kind of busting a lot of those myths so that you can facilitate a relationship with your body and with food that is, I'm going to eat the things that make me feel really well. Sometimes I'm not going to, and that's okay too. Like, no judgment, no shame, and it just removes shame from it. So, Shame has no place. Shame is a motivator. It's really, you know, from the devil, let's be honest. And you don't have to um, be driven by that. You don't have to listen to that. And it does take da- it does take daily renewing your mind. It does take understanding that what's being in what is in your head and what is being told to you, you know, that voice, which we see it all the time on social media, um, that voice that's telling you, you know, you're not worthy and you need to lose weight or you need this was a bad decision. And now you're a bad person and wrapping your morality up in those decisions. It's um, it's it's false. And so it does take daily renewing and saying, I know that that that's not true. And here's all the truths that I do know. And so um, then you're able to pursue what is right for you and you can figure that out because what's right for you is going to be different. It's not always going to be, you know, what other people are doing. And this is why we talk about this all the time is because you see all these people doing all these different things in your newsfeed. That doesn't mean it's right for you. You don't have to do any of that. So, and it doesn't make them a better person. So it's just understanding, giving yourself the, facilitating an environment in which you're able to discover that and figure out what is right for you. And of course we have all, you know, the ways in which you can do that in the book, but it first starts with a mindset shift. And I'm glad that you're working with a therapist. It might be worth bringing up some of the food stuff too. Um, but I would totally just think about health from here on out as a way to not as as not in in a way of like, how can I lose weight? But instead, how can I how can I just like feel better, you know, feel better, eat enough, eat really good food, include good food and like help my body to feel better. And regardless of, of weight or anything like that. So, yeah, good. Yeah, that is it from us. For more from Stephanie, go to health to empower.com. For more from me, go to coconutsandkettlebells.com. We love you guys. Thanks so much for being here. We will talk to you next week. 